Uh, dear God, as we look at your word now, please fill us with a living hope, a real hope, a hope that uh, changes life uh, each day as we know that there is much more in store through what you have done for us in Jesus, through his resurrection. We pray this in his name. Amen. Now, I wonder how your lockdown body is going. Is your body deserving a well-deserved rest from takeaway food? Or is your body kind of swelling as a result of being able to not go to the gym so much? It, it, it may not be fun, but this lockdown sure is a, a fascinating experiment for a lot of us. Uh, how is it helping you in your, or hindering you in your quest for the perfect body? Uh, see, as a society, we're obsessed with the idea of the perfect body. Uh, a newspaper recently did a survey of what would be the perfect body, and they did it by asking a bunch of plastic surgeons kind of what their clients requested when they came in for some renovations. Uh, and here's what they said. The perfect woman's body, it consisted of Angelina Jolie's lips, Jennifer Lopez's backside, Nicole Kidman's nose, Cameron Diaz's legs, and Sophia Loren's cheeks, and finally, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Taylor's eyes and forehead. Now, the perfect man's body, well, the survey found that it consisted pretty much of Brad Pitt's uh, everything, really, his, his nose, his cheeks, his abdomen, and his butt, uh, all of it stuck on top of David Beckham's legs. And here's kind of what it would look like if we were to, if we were to pull that off. Uh, but is that really the best that we can hope for for our bodies? Well, the resurrection offers us an even greater hope for our bodies. And it's not just our bodies. The resurrection offers us great hope for our lives today. See, the resurrection, it has massive implications for how we live here and now. And I can't wait to show you what the Bible has to say today about that. You see, the Apostle Paul, he wants us to connect those two things. He wants us to know how the empty tomb that we saw on Easter Sunday, he wants to know how that changes our Monday morning and really all of life. And in 1 Corinthians 15, we see that there are three kind of main movements here. First, the certainty of the resurrection, then the characteristics of the resurrection, and then finally, the consequences of the resurrection body. Uh, so let's begin looking at the certainty of the resurrection body. And, and here Paul deals with a question that was kind of floating around Corinth, whether or not we're going to be resurrected like Jesus was. Now take a look at verse 12 with me. But if it is preached that, he has been that Christ has been raised from the dead... How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Now, it seems that there were some people in the Corinthian church saying there is no resurrection of the dead. Uh, but Paul, he, he begs to differ. Notice his reasoning at the beginning of verse 12 there. But if it has been preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Can you see the point he's making here? It seems that there, that there were some who were saying that, sure, Jesus rose from the dead, but that doesn't mean that we will all experience resurrection as well. And Paul is saying, no, Jesus' resurrection and our resurrection, they are inextricably linked. And see again there in verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If for only this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Now, do you feel the force of the argument there? If there is no resurrection from the dead, that means that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then Easter Sunday is a hoax and there is no hope for us at all. We're all still dead in our sins. 
And so that, what that means is that all the time you may have spent at church, all the time you may, may have spent serving other people, all the money you may have given to mission, all the prayers you have prayed and the hours you spent reading your Bible, it's all wasted. No resurrection means that Christianity is a complete and utter dud. But hang on. Jesus did rise from the dead. Paul saw him. Hundreds saw him. Witnesses. We heard all about this on Easter Sunday. And in that kind of one trailblazing act, Jesus hasn't just proven that resurrection from the dead is kind of a theoretical possibility. He's actually paved the way for our resurrection. And Paul describes this as the first fruits. Verse 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, first fruits, it's, it's, it's a farming term. It conjures up the idea of the first and the best. The first fruits were the first bit of the produce of the harvest that kind of came in. There was, there was plenty more to come of the harvest. But, but for now, here are the first fruits. But it was also considered the best. Uh, the people of God in the Old Testament, when it came to bringing offerings to God, to sacrifices to God, they weren't to just kind of scrape the bottom of the barrel. They weren't to kind of give God the, the dregs or the crippled or the rotting. No, they were to give God the first and the best. And that's Jesus' resurrection. Plenty more to come, but here's the start of it. The first and the best, it's Jesus. Another way to look at it is if uh, Jesus' resurrection, it's, it's kind of like God's guarantee. It's his, his down payment. That is what God has done in Jesus' resurrection. The first fruits, it's the down payment. It's the guarantee. What he has done for Jesus, he is going to do for all of those of us who follow Jesus. Resurrection will have life beyond the grave because Jesus has life beyond the grave. Uh, and this leads us to some more questions. If, if, if this is a certainty... Well, what are the characteristics? What, what, what will the resurrection body be like? Will we look the same as we do now? Uh, I wonder if you've ever, ever wondered, what age will we be uh, as we're resurrected? What age are we going to be resurrected as? Will we be resurrected as an 18-year-old or a 25-year-old? Or will we be resurrected in the prime of our life, 38 years and 4 months? Uh, will I have the perfect body? Will I have Brad Pitt stuck on David Beckham's legs? Well, here's the answer from the Apostle Paul in verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. Now, that's probably not where the start we would have been hoping for there, kind of how foolish. but, But Paul here, he's dealing with some in Corinth who are mocking the idea of the resurrection. See, Paul is responding to a cynical, a a skeptical question from someone who doesn't believe that there is a resurrection from the dead. And so some people are saying with a kind of a tone of disbelief. So how are the dead raised? eh? What sort of body are they going to have? And Paul answers this. He says this in verse 36. How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be but just a seed perhaps of wheat or something else. But God gives a body as he is determined, and to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. Uh, Now, in some ways, uh, these are frustrating verses for us. I mean, here at last, Paul is going to explain what, uh, what he's talking about, what the resurrection body is like, and we get this kind of conversation about seeds. Uh, but Paul is actually saying something profound about the resurrection body. If we're, if we're willing to look closely and read carefully, And what Paul is saying is that 
A, a seed, in reality, is a different category to a mature plant. Now, think with me. If you, if you came from outer space and you, you laid eyes on a little seed for the first time, there's almost no way that you would imagine what it was going to be as a mature plant. Uh, because on one hand, a seed and a, and, a, and a plant, they're so massively different, aren't they? And yet Paul says that that'll be like us. Because on one hand, they're massively different. But on the other hand, there is a relationship between a seed and a plant. They're not completely unrelated. They're not completely different things like kombucha and stamp collecting or the coronavirus and killer whales. Kind of these things that just have no real connection. A seed and a plant aren't just two random things side by side. There is a connection between the seed and the plant. Because what is a plant? Well, a plant is everything that a seed is supposed to be. You see, a plant isn't a rejection of the seed. It's not a rebellion against the seed. No, a plant is the seed's fullness. If you look at a seed and, and everything that a plant will become is somehow in there, in the seed. And Paul says that the relationship between the body that is sown in death and the body that will be raised is like that. The resurrected body is the full realization of everything that was in the body everything that the body was made to be. And so really the concern isn't what age we'll be or what we'll look like or whether I'll have kind of Brad Pitt's abs. Uh, but Paul wants us to know that, that we will be us. I will be Andrew. You will be you. And you will be raised to be the fulfillment of everything that you're meant to be. Uh, and there's a little more that we can glean here as well. Uh, look with me at verse 42. So will it be with, with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, but it is raised imperishable. Imperishable. Immortal. Now, I assume that means our bodies, they won't wear out. I mean, one of the, the challenges of the current kind of COVID situation is that a lot of people have thought up until this point that they were invincible. Uh, but it doesn't take much of life to come at you before we realize acutely that we, our bodies are temporary. Our bodies, they have an expiry, expiry date. Our bones break. Our cells get cancerous. Our heart, it, it, it stops beating. Sometimes the chemicals in our brain go out of whack and cause us all sorts of trouble. Uh, but not this resurrection body that Paul is talking about. He says, Imper- imperishable. Your mind won't play games with you. Your cells won't become cancerous. Your chronic pain will be gone in that glorious new creation body. But as good as that is, verse 43 and 44 tell us the most exciting things, that our body will be a spiritual body. Verse 43. It is sown, that is the body, in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Now, don't think that what he's saying here is that it won't be physical, like a kind of it will be ghosts or holograms. No, it will definitely be physical. I think what he's saying is that our resurrection body will be fully empowered by God's spirit. Now, think of it like a train. A steam train isn't made out of steam. A diesel train isn't made out of diesel. An electric train isn't made out of electricity. They are the things that power the train. And so it will be, we'll have a body a spirit-empowered body, no less physical than the bodies we have now, 
but it will be powered by God's Spirit, which means that we'll have a body that is no longer controlled by the sinful desires of our present flesh. We'll have a body that is now fully and completely empowered by the Spirit of God. We'll have a body that is not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit of God. And in that sense, we're going to be like Jesus. Verse 48. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, that is Adam, so we shall bear the image of the heavenly man, that is Jesus. We shall bear the image of the spirit-led heavenly man. If we, together, uh, if we were together at church, at this point in the sermon, I'd ask you to look at the person next to you, uh, look at this person sitting next to you, size them up. Uh, some of you can still do this, but some of you are alone in your bubbles. So think of someone you know from church. Think of someone you know who follows Jesus. And to get your head around how glorious this body would be, C.S. Lewis uh, says this about what they would be like. He says this, uh, When you sit in church on a Sunday, you sit next to a creature that if you could see them as the thing that they will become, you would be sorely tempted to bow down and worship them. You see, there'll come a time when the followers of Jesus, in the, in the twinkling of an eye, they'll be changed to be like that. And we'll be given and we'll receive a, a great body, the full realization of who we are, of who God has made us to be. A body that is no longer enslaved to the cravings of our sinful nature, a body fully energized by God's own spirit so that we'd be, be like Jesus himself. Now, having spelt out the certainty and the characteristics of the resurrection, Paul now turns to some consequences, what the resurrection actually means for us here and now. And the first thing it means is that right now we can live not at the mercy of death. Uh, see, without Jesus, kind of we, we just kind of roll through life and, and death is just kind of a wa- waiting for us off stage. Always. Death stands there and he stands there and he's saying, I win in the end. I used to ask people to do a thought experiment to think about how many decisions they made uh, that were influenced by the reality of death. But in this season, it's not just a thought experiment, isn't it? Our whole society, our economy, our relationships, they have been turned on their head because of the reality, because of the fear of death. We stay at home because it, it saves lives. That's the reality of the fear of death. We don't visit the elderly or the sick because of the reality of the fear of death. Many people have lost their jobs because of the reality and the fear of death. The entire globe is in crisis, in a crisis that no one has seen outside of a world war. And it's all because we're living in the fear of death. In this time, we're now as acutely aware as ever that death the bully, is the bully in the playground, always there. Maybe not spoiling our fun, but every so often in times like now, death is reminding us, Hey, mate, I'm in charge. This is my playground. You can play for a little while, but eventually I'm going to come in and I'm going to win. And so what that does to us is that we, we, we frantically try to squeeze as much as possible into life. We try to, as hard as we can, to delay the inevitable before death ultimately wins at the end. But the resurrection of Jesus completely turns that on its head, doesn't it? You see, the resurrection of Jesus, it it, it stands up to the bully and it stands up to death and it robs him of his power and it takes his control and it takes his fear. Look at what Paul says in verse 54. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. 
Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, by dying on the cross, Jesus robs death of its sting. On the cross, Jesus took the punishment that we should have received. He stood up to the bully death and he has defeated him once and for all and and triumphed over death through his resurrection. And what that means is it means that your death is not final. A resurrection body awaits you. A new creation awaits you. Therefore, verse 58, Therefore, let my brothers and sisters stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Those last three words, not in vain, because death is not the end. We're actually freed up to live a life that is far bigger than being a kind of a happy little consumer with a mortgage and 2.3 children. Being a Christian is far bigger than having kind of cups of tea and being nice to one another. We are so liberated from death that our labors in the Lord, they will not be in vain. And so what that means is that when you invite someone to Jesus is, or when you invite someone to online church so they can hear about Jesus, when you share your faith with a workmate, when you welcome a visitor on Sunday or help out with Sunday school or kids church TV, uh, when you organize a Zoom chat to read the Bible and pray with a friend, when you give money to mission or here to church or wherever, I mean, at the time you do these things, they might feel so small scale, uh, but they can put in motion things that will last forever because Christ has defeated death. And the resurrection means that those things, they are not in vain. They are not in vain. They go on for eternity. So how does the empty tomb change your Monday morning? Well, I think Paul is telling us it's going to change our mindset. Uh, we, we talk about our kids about having a growth mindset to, to kind of give things a go, to accept challenges. But here in light of the resurrection, the hope that we can have, we, we, we see two possible mindsets. On the one hand, there's a grave mindset. To live for this life and to live for this life only, that's to have a grave mindset. To have your thinking dominated by the fear of death, to pursue pleasure and hedonism and bucket lists, and, and an easy life now. To think that this life is all you have, so you kind of need to suck the marrow out of this life. Live it to the full. But when you peel back the veneer, it's really just a life dominated by a fear of death, isn't it? It's a grave mindset, focused on the grave. But Christ has defeated death, and a new creation is coming. And now, he says, we can have a glory mindset, thinking and living that is driven by the glorious future that is to come. You see, death is not the end. Uh, we will be raised forever and have a spirit-empowered body so we can give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord, knowing with full confidence that it will not be in vain. As Paul writes there in verse 58, Therefore, my my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That is how the empty tomb, it changes our Monday morning. So, Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you that we can have resurrection hope. And Lord, help us to live with a glory mindset 
knowing that the things that we do for you, they will not be in vain. And we pray uh, that you might change us to live with this hope this week. Amen.